Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled How to Strengthen Your Marriage by Healing Your Body Image, originally produced and published by Stephanie Webb from the Eat Confident Co. We're so excited to share this episode with you, but before we do, we'd love to mention several upcoming events for which tickets have already been released. These events include Dallas, Texas, Calgary, Canada, and Hillsboro, Oregon. The tickets for these events are already going quickly, and if you know you would like to attend, we recommend that you act now. For more information about these upcoming events, as well as more information about the Valentine's Day sale, check out our show notes and click on the links found there. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. We are very excited today to have a very special guest back on the podcast for a second time. We are interviewing today Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. And if you know her, you love her. If you don't know her, let me tell you a little bit more about her before we dive into the interview. So Dr. Finlayson Fife is a relationship and sexuality educator and coach. She is a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois. She has a PhD in counseling psychology, and she wrote her dissertation on LDS women and sexuality. So she's kind of known as the Mormon sex therapist, if that if that resonates for you. Um, she has some amazing online courses, which we'll talk a little bit more about in the interview. She's taught college-level courses on human sexuality, and she does some amazing workshops all over the world. So we are thrilled to have her today. We invited her on specifically because we had some questions that we felt like she was uniquely qualified to answer. So we think you're going to love what she has to say and find it incredibly helpful, hopefully for your own body image and your own intimate relationships. So here is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. We are so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, for those of you listening, um, I recorded Dr. Finlayson Fife quite a while ago, actually, and you can catch that in, I think it's episode 60. We talked about how to create and maintain a sexual sense of self in motherhood. And that was actually on the podcast around Valentine's Day last year. And so, we're thrilled to have our favorite expert on women's sexuality back this year around Valentine's Day again for another interview. Um, it's kind of the season of love, so it seems like a really appropriate time to have you here. So, so yeah. thanks for being here. Yeah. So pleasure. if you're willing to share with us, we would love to hear a little bit about your own background of your relationship with your body and food, if you feel like that's applicable, just to kind of give, you know, kind of set the stage sure. a little bit. Well, you know, I was thinking about it a little bit last night because I, I really didn't have much self-consciousness around my body, and I'm probably not that unusual until I hit kind of early adolescence, maybe age 11. And I suddenly became aware of the fact that how I appeared mattered, like a lot. <laughs> and I also became aware concurrently that I wasn't going to measure up on that front relative to my peers. I had Coke bottle glasses because I am legally blind. So I had really, I had glasses from like, I was one of those babies that had like those glasses on their heads. And I had surgery when I was younger on my eyes and things like that. So I had these really thick glasses and I have thick hair. And the look that was in there was what in at that time was like the Farrah Fawcett look. So everybody had layers and perms. Unfortunately, I now thinking I needed to start looking better, got my hair layered and permed, <laughs> which was not a good look for me because my hair is so thick that it just 
put my hair like about four feet off my head all the way around. <laughs> and I had a very scrawny body. You know, I think some people think thinner is better, or at least, you know, but I did not feel that way. I was sort of late hitting puberty. I was very kind of small for my age. And so this combination of big hair, big eyes <laughs> and scrawny body was not, not a great look, but I, but maybe more importantly, I just felt it really, really impacted how I felt about myself because this seemed to be what mattered and academics didn't seem as important and my personal, you know, personality didn't seem as important. I think I was tracking the culture right. <laughs> and, you know, I saw my older brothers dating pretty girls and thinking, I don't think I'm ever going to be that. So I think that was just kind of unnecessary um, assault to my sense of self. And so, you know, I think how I handled that was just at the time, like I got really determined that my family couldn't afford contact lenses. They were unusually expensive back then because they were relatively rare. And so I just as a 13 year old started earning as much money as I could by, you know, selling gingerbread houses that I made and other Christmas decorations and things so I could earn the money I needed for contact lenses. And I got them and you know, but I still was not that, and I sound like I'm being self-disparaging. I wasn't that conventionally attractive. I mean, I was, I was okay, but I, you know, other people got so much more attention. And so what I did was just decide that I had to hunker down and work on my personality <laughs> and other <laughs> aspects of development because I wasn't going to win on this friend. And people, guys were nice to me. They liked me as a friend, you know, but I had a, one guy who said to me who I had a crush on, he was like, you know what? I really like making out with Terry, who was my very pretty friend, and talking to you. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I mean, the upside for me and all that was it just helped me kind of focus on what I could control, which was who I was. And I'm really grateful for that, to be honest, because I actually think if you're very attractive it, relative to these conventional standards, it can kind of distract you from your own development because it's so hypervalued. And, um, you know, I, my mother also was a very healthful eater. She just, and she wasn't very focused on weight. So I was very fortunate that I grew up learning really good habits. My body's pretty naturally followed. I haven't had, because my body's kind of relatively easily fit the expectations. I'm not, I'm just saying I haven't had to struggle as much on that front because I think if it didn't, that would have been a bigger challenge for me to come into self-acceptance in the face of these idealized realities. Mm -hmm. Not that I fit an idealized reality, but I, I, I've been able to just be okay with exactly how I am. So, so that's a bit of my story. <laughs> I love that. And I think it, it's so, it's so fascinating to hear kind of that background, knowing where you are and who you are now. Do you feel like that experience of learning to value your, I guess, inner traits over your appearance, did that have any influence, do you think, on the career that you chose, the field that you decided to yeah. go into? And 100% it did, actually. I'm actually really grateful now, looking back, because even though it was painful at the time, I really did realize I wasn't going to get my sense of self through this kind of external validation. I mean, not that people were decent to me, but I, I just wasn't going to get it that way. And so I really did kind of hunker down on what kind of person do I want to be? Who do I want to grow into? What matters to me? 
And I'm, I really did make that internal focus because I was trying to get out of the pain that I felt actually. And I was, no, I just trusted or knew that I needed to establish something deeper within myself to be less vulnerable to the validation I couldn't get. And, you know, I grew up, of course, in, in the church and my, my parents' biggest value for me was getting married to a good man. I mean, that's, that was the world that they came out of. And so it wasn't around education or me getting, I, there was zero pressure on me around that. None. Like I, I don't even know how often my parents looked at my credit, I mean, my credit card, my uh, report cards. <laughs> I didn't have credit cards. I report, report cards. And so, you know, it just wasn't the focus. So in a world where being chosen is a big, big deal, feeling like I don't fit the ideal is tough, you know? And so mm-hmm. it made me shift my focus away from getting some man to want me to kind of who did I want to become. And I think that's a lot of the work that I do in working with women around self-development and sexual self-development is really around that extremely important process because I didn't realize then how much it's linked to being capable of being in a deep friendship with someone, being in a deep sexual friendship with someone, because you have a self to share. You aren't validation dependent in the way that you might have been if you take the time to establish a solid relationship with your own self-respect. I think this will resonate with so many of our listeners because I think a very small percent actually meet the ideal. Right. And we very often all are left to figure that out. That's right. Identify where we fit in the world and how we're going to navigate this really appearance-based or appearance-obsessed culture we live in. So we, we actually work with hundreds of women in our group coaching program who are overcoming disordered eating and negative body image. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot of questions from women whose bodies have changed and they've been yes. sold this cultural lie that their body should, shouldn't change or that they should look yeah. a certain way their whole life. Right. Yeah. And they feel a lot of shame when they don't feel fit that ideal. So our work helps them to build mature and positive relationships with their bodies, regardless of their appearance, which I think you just described so well in how you went deeper into what do I value? Who am I regardless of what I look like? Yes. Um, So we want to help them respect and care for their body, no matter their size. But often that's undermined if they're in an intimate relationship where they're made to feel bad about their appearance or size. And this is really common. We get this, these kinds of questions really, really often. So we would love to hear your perspective on how a woman's relationship with her body influences her intimate relationship. Sure. Well, I think, you know, I think your relationship with your body is so entangled with your relationship to yourself because you know we tend to do this mind body split in our thinking but you know it's really about how do I relate to the integrity of who I am and so if you have a spouse who's criticizing your body well there's a very good chance it's not just the issue of your body it's the issue of your whole self that's basically under critique and you're in a dynamic with that partner where you're trying to prove yourself because you know the the fact that that would get spoken in that way or related to in that way within the couple says a lot about the way the couple relates to the woman meaning how they each relate to her and so i would say that and this is this is tricky because 
if you've taught, if you've been taught to reference outside of yourself and you have done this habitually, it's, it's going to be a real shift to find the muscle of shifting away from the focus on what does he think of me to a what do I think of me, not from a one down panicked, I'm just useless and uh, undesirable, but from your stronger self. Okay, that's, and especially people who have, who were very attractive, maybe in adolescence, got a lot of that validation, maybe stayed accustomed to that kind of uh, orientation to their sense of self, then a change can be devastating. You know, it's just, it's just such a shift in how they have thought about themselves and also how they have referenced that value. Because then if they're with somebody who is devaluing, how do they get that back? And, you know, the body, there's only so much you can do um, often with respect to the body. And so you may be somewhat powerless to change how the body appears, okay? Which is different than saying you're powerless to change how you're in relationship to your body and uh, in relationship to yourself. So I think for someone that's in that position, I would be looking at do both my husband and I reference how he feels, how he sees me, how he thinks as being more important than how I feel and how I see me and how I think, because that in and of itself is going to undermine your ability to have an intimate marriage. Or just And by intimate, I don't mean just sexually, I mean in the whole sense, because this is not about two equals that are partners. This is about a validation system where you are hyper-focused on getting the approval of the other spouse, and he knows it, knows it, and he exploits that. I think what I hear you saying is when someone over-identifies with how they look, it becomes harder to take that criticism. It, t- yes. it gets harder for them to kind of work through that dynamic. But essentially, if they can learn to, like you did, get deeper into what I value and who who I am, regardless of my appearance, it's going to be easier to navigate that and to make what I feel as a partner in this relationship just as important as what you feel. Exactly. And if this couple were to come in, I would first be exposing the superiority of the husband in his position and how he's relating to his wife both for her to be able to see it more clearly. This isn't a function of her devalued reality. Okay. It's a function of his posture and his position in the marriage. Then I would also be working with her about how she gives so much of her strength away. And she's probably been doing this habitually and why she's vulnerable to that kind of dynamic between her and her husband. And then be trying to help her to out of the best in herself, look at what does she respect how she's in relationship to her body? Meaning, does she respect how she treats herself, both emotionally and physically? What would she need to do to respect herself more in this relationship, to know that she's treating herself well, doing what's good for her, good for her body, irrespective of what appearance may result from that, that could can she be in a more deeply respectful relationship to herself via her body. Because it's one thing to dislike when someone else is disrespectful, it's another thing to tolerate it in ourselves. You see, like, it's easy to say, like, don't treat me badly, or don't say that about me. 
but no, so somewhat neglect, not look at how we are in relationship to ourselves. And often we are acting congruently with the critiqued version of ourselves. Does that make sense? Like that we don't like other people's invalidation, but we're not taking seriously the issue of our self-respect. Oh, that's so good. So it's really that respect that I think we, and you had mentioned this earlier, like what you can control. You can't necessarily control your spouse or your, your partner and what they say or what they think, but it's more of how do I respect myself? Yes. Yeah. You can't control your partner and you can't even control necessarily what your body does. You can, you could be in a very, you know, you could be very uh, thoughtful about nourishing your body and exercising and so on. And you may not still fit any conventional idealized form, but that issue of being in relationship to yourself in a respectful way will shape how you feel about yourself. Because I often say self-respect is something you do more than something you feel. Self-respect is like living up to your responsibility to yourself. Now, when you're doing that, you're more in a position to deal with this, this superior husband because you're getting stronger in yourself. And so while you can't control them, you can certainly, you can certainly stand up to that kind of uh, mistreatment if that's what's at the core of it. And, you know, sometimes people can also do this when they're not necessarily with a superior husband. They may just know that their spouse has a preference and it isn't what they look like. And that can be so invalidating and disorganizing that they keep the focus on the fact that they don't fit the ideal in their spouse's head, right? And that can be really hard, you know, it can be painful, but it's still the wrong focus because you can't control that part. And, and the obsession with that is keeps you from the issue of what do I need to do for myself to be in a healthier relationship with myself and my body. And so I think it's always the place to start because then you have the strength to have a, another look at the marriage and um, what you may need to address there. I hope that all of our collective members are listening to this and like nodding their heads because what we, what we encourage them to think about is the way that they feel about their body is going to ebb and flow probably from hour to hour during the day, right? We might, we could feel one way about our bodies an hour later, we're going to feel completely different because of the culture we live in, because how we feel about our bodies is pretty unstable, Mm -hmm. but what can be stable is how we care for our bodies, how we think about our bodies the respectful actions we show towards our bodies and that being the way we we build more stable and mature relationships with our bodies regardless of what they look like regardless of what they feel and i think what you're bringing in is another really important dynamic regardless of what other people feel about our bodies as well right exactly yeah and the more robust your ability to sustain your sense of self and accept yourself you're just less vulnerable to what other people might think you know, and it makes people respect you more. You are more attractive when you are comfortable in your own skin. You know, you are more um, compelling when you believe in yourself. People just don't, won't doubt you as much. And so it's a very important muscle, not just for your own good feelings about yourself, but for your relationships. It's really essential 
because if you can't sustain your sense of self, it will impair any relationship you're in because you're going to be looking for that through other people and that burdens the relationship. So would you, would you suggest for a woman who's kind of working towards that sense of autonomy or kind of empowerment within her relationship, do you feel like it's appropriate to set boundaries with the spouse of maybe I, I would ask you to not comment on my appearance or my body? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. So if, if you, if that person is, you know, saying things, doing things like that, a hundred percent. It's a function of self-respect. It's a function of standing up for a respectful relationship, right? So it could sound like, look, you and I have both been pretty disparaging of me in this relationship. It has to stop. I'm not doing it anymore and I'm not going to tolerate you doing it anymore. So if you don't make more comments on my body, if you want to have a good relationship with me, unless they're the positive ones, like how beautiful it is and how amazing it is that I've kept loving you through all your mean comments. <laughs> Say those Amen things. to that. <laughs> yes, instead of feeling like, okay, I need to fix myself for this relationship to work. Right. Instead, I can stand up for my own self-respect. Yes. And I, can, I, I, I think this is very hard to verbalize boundaries, I think, for yeah. most people to verbalize this boundary. But we can't keep them guessing. We need to make sure, it, it sounds like, that they know exactly how we feel. We, yeah. They know exactly how the comments are making us feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Making it explicit, exactly. That, look, we've, this is, you know, this is part of our bad dynamic. This is part of our bad marriage. This is your contribution to it. And, you know, in that little mini role play, the woman is sort of owning, you know, I've kind of accepted it. I've kind of gone along not been working for us and so I'm not doing it anymore and I expect you to not do it anymore like I'm standing up for this to be better and yes making it explicit and one of the reasons why it's hard to verbalize those boundaries is you're actually occupying a different position and for a lot of us that's terrifying well do I really deserve to be an equal do I really deserve to be a partner sometimes our bodies or our relationship to our bodies express a long-standing devaluing relationship to ourselves that we sometimes learn to occupy when we were children. If we had harsh, cruel, critical parents, you know, that that can feel so bad, but very familiar. And so to step into a more self-valuing um, position can feel like you're doing something wrong. It certainly can feel uncertain. And the spouse is also going to track that and may not like it because some people are critical. A lot of people are critical because they want to be in control. That's what motivates them. It's not that the person's actually doing something wrong, okay? But the critique is designed to keep that person referencing the one up and give the one up more control. And so when that's part of a marriage system, which it often is, you standing up against that is not going to be met with applause. And so it's, it will really push you to sort out your relationship to yourself. But it's a, it's a painful process. It's a scary process sometimes, but it's an extremely important process. And I wonder if a helpful reminder when we set verbal boundaries is to release ourselves of what other people feel about our boundaries. Yes, exactly. so obviously, I think you brought up that, 
that point of they're going to probably not like the fact yes. that you've just set this boundary. Yes. But if it's important to you and if it's important to your self-respect that it's necessary and needed, yes. no matter how it makes your spouse feel. Yes, exactly. That, you know, this is what I talk about a lot in this course, uh, The Art of Desire. I talk a lot about, I, t I teach a lot that, you know, oftentimes when we're, we're making decisions based on how other people feel, we in fact are not creating good realities because when we're being driven by keeping people happy with us, our resources are getting sort of just frittered away, but not necessarily in the best places and, and that we're the architects of our own lives. And, and so it means we have to make decisions about where we put our resources, who we let be close to us, you know, who we allow to be in that inner circle. And you have to be thoughtful and deliberate or else it will cost you. And if you're thoughtful and deliberate, it will inherently mean saying no to people because there's more demands than there are resources always. That's just a function of being human. It's a basic responsibility you have to yourself and your relationships. Love it. Okay, so uh, we get a lot of questions from women who feel unattractive. Some clearly even have husbands who tell them they aren't attractive to, to, and, and that they want them to lose weight, which is heartbreaking. As you mentioned earlier, and, and we reinforce this inside our group coaching program, that self-care doesn't guarantee a certain size. Mm -hmm. And we come in all different shapes and sizes. Body diversity is a thing. We may not, you know, a, a woman may not meet the ideal, like you mentioned, in their spouse's head. And they might want them to lose weight. They might say, you need to do something about this. You need to fix this. And we're not, we're, we're very weight neutral. We, we really do celebrate body diversity and encourage our members to do the same. So mm -hmm. we're wondering what your advice would be on how these women should communicate with their partners in order to feel safe and supported in that relationship instead of relying on weight loss to make it better. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I would take it back to, it's not really a communication issue it, at the level that you're talking about it. It's more about this issue of how am I going to be in relationship to myself? Am I going to be cruel to myself because my body type does not fit some idealized version? Am I going to do that? And am I going to tolerate a spouse that keeps doing that, right? So it's not so much about communicating and feeling safe. The reason why I maybe push back against that, it's not that it is safe, but you can't tell. And it's not that... Um, it's just a communication challenge. The woman's getting the message, right? And she doesn't like the message. So in some ways to stand up is to sort of destabilize and make it feel unsafe, right? And so it's not so much like, how do I get my spouse? No, you're not gonna get the source from your spouse in the communication. The source has to come from your own courage and strength. Then you're in a position to talk to your spouse and ask for things to be different. And when you're in that more self-respecting position, he's much more likely to listen, right? And you can say, I want a good sexual relationship with you. But when you critique and focus on this, it does not make me feel accepted or wanted or chosen. And I need for that to change. I need for you to see me the way that I am. 
you and I have both been somewhat impaired in being sufficiently valuing of who I am. And if this is going to be a good relationship and a good sexual relationship, we have to grow up around that. And, you know, I maybe have sometimes been not good to my body in my own anxiety of not being enough. I've sometimes not been good to my body because I'm rebelling against you and your critique, husband. And I'm not going to do that anymore. Not because I'm trying to be, you know, some skinny whatever version of this, but because I am going to be good to myself. And if you don't join me in that, it's not going to go well for us. That's how I would take posture in that because that's how I position myself because you're not going to get it from the husband. The husband has to grow up also. He's also been immature. He tries to have a sense of self by feeling superior. And that's as impaired as trying to get a sense of self from other people. I think you bring up such an important point about we are easily drawn outside of ourselves through these comments, the comments that people make about our food or our bodies. We're kind of drawn outside of ourselves. And it's really difficult to connect with what you need when you are constantly trying to please other people or trying to fix the situation for other people versus being able to really kind of turn back to yourself and be able to say, what do I need? How, right. how do I need to nourish myself? How do I need to take care of myself? How do I need right. to respect my body regardless of its size? And we think we're all victims of, of diet culture. We're all victims of a really a, appearance-obsessed culture. Yes. And we have to kind of be ready to see it, to want to do anything about it for ourselves. And I think, that's, uh, I think that's what's difficult for the women that we work with is they see it, they understand mm -hmm. it, they're, they're mm -hmm. ready to do something about it for themselves. Yeah, sure. And they feel this added pressure to figure out this, the same thing for their spouse rather than really allowing their spouse to figure it out for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's good. And I think it's about starting to understand what real love is about. Right. And I'm not necessarily devaluing appearance. Like it's fun to look pretty. It's fun to do those kinds of things. But first of all, we need a much more expansive version of it, but then a much more expansive version of what it is to really love and choose someone. And it's based in a fundamental respect. I mean, if anybody's going to be, you know, hyper-focused on appearance, it's not going to go well. You know, you get older, you start, everything starts drooping, you get moles, you know, you know, it's just like, it's not, it's not going to work well. Okay. And so, you know, on some level you have to grow into the human condition and the basic flawed nature of it. I don't even know if that's the right word because flawed implies that we should somehow be something else. It's just what it is to be human. And so if you can't come to terms with really accepting the core of our humanity, you will have a really hard time being in an intimate partnership and you, you won't be able to. So it's also allowing a husband to grow into a deeper version of what it is to love. But a woman who respects herself is going to lead the way on that. I mean, she'll get it. When, when I should tell this story, my husband got it ahead of me, I think, honestly. My husband's eight years older than me, so he had a little more time to mature around these things. But when I first got married, I became really anxious that I was going to gain weight. I'm not even sure why, but I think it's just the beginning of a sexual relationship and just my fear that I might become less attractive to him. And so I just got a just kind of hyper fixated on it in the first year of marriage on my weight. And, and my husband just kept saying to me, you could gain pounds. I would still be attracted to you. He, he said, honestly, I, uh, I like you and whatever size you are, I will like you. The only thing that would be hard for me 
is if you moved into a self-hating relationship with yourself, that would be harder to be attracted to. And I mean, I think he got it. And it took me a while to believe him and trust him. <laughs> but, you know, but I think that he actually got it right, which is like, it, it's you that I love. And whatever your body does, I'm going to be at peace with. It would be hard, though, if you weren't sort of your vibrant self, whatever size you're in. And I think that can be true, too. I love this. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I I think it is very important to point out that so much of our distress around our bodies comes from the unrealistic expectation that they shouldn't change. And like you yes. pointed out, there's a lot that's going to change yeah, as we exactly. get older. And, we, and so- it, Children and things like that, you know? Yes. Yeah. So again, going back to that idea, if we're over-identifying with this one body size, this one point in time- Yes. We're going to, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle personally, maybe in the relationship too, particularly if we're struggling personally. Um, but that's something I think for listeners to recognize is what, what level of distress is happening because you are not allowing body changes to happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, and becoming so attached to the body that you had when you got married or, or whatever, that you allow that to change who you are and how you show yep. up as yourself or in the relationship. Like, I love how he said, you know, it's you, it's not your body. It's not this external thing. Yeah. It's you that I love. But I think so many of us, because we're, you know, it's steeped in this, in this culture of appearance obsession and thin obsession, that yep. when we don't match that, then we allow that to change who we are and we allow that to alter our personality. Exactly. One of the quotes I read in my Art of Desire workshop is this, you know, this idea of if you want to basically undermine a woman's strength, interfere with her relationship to her body and her sexuality. Mm. That it's a fundamental way of getting them obsessed with their body, with their appearance, with this sort of non-existent, meaning so unrealistic, it doesn't even real, uh, uh, ideal of the flawless body. And you undermine their ability to become the strong women they're capable of being. And the reality is, and I know it sounds cliche, but I really mean it, is women are absolutely beautiful in all their shapes and sizes. The, the, the female form is remarkably beautiful, I think. And we really, I think men get that for the most part. You know, they understand it. And I think for most men, there's a much bigger you know, range of what they find attractive than, than what's in women's minds. But I think that uh, women really are beautiful and we have a hard time seeing our bodies as they really are actually. And, um, and seeing um, and allowing that beauty to just sort of emanate the natural beauty of just being at peace in your own skin. You know, it's just, it's really where it's at is knowing you're being okay with you. You're beautiful then you are because that, that strength emanates from you and warms other people. And so it's uh, it's sad when we throw it all away because there's lots of thin people who might even look like they fit an ideal, but nothing glows from them because they're anxious and distressed and uncertain. Gosh, this reminds me of the idea of self-objectification. And we know that the objectification of women is is obviously rampant in our culture. And then of course we can we can self-objectify. And I think this speaks so well to that idea of um us losing our power and really allowing our power to be lost or other people yes. undermining Absolutely. our power Absolutely. through that objectification. Yep, exactly. Again, the self-respect is to see it, challenge it, and to, to not do it to yourself. 
I mean, easier said than done, but a worthy thing to shift in ourselves and to be careful about what we kind of let in. So good. I love this. I feel like we could just learn from you all day. (laughs) So great. So you mentioned your art of desire course. I want to, I want to give you a chance to talk about your course, um, your workshops that you do, anything else where people can learn more from you. Sure. So it will be February 1st until Valentine's day, or maybe a couple days after Valentine's day, where we do 20% all off of all of my online courses. And one of them is the art of desire, uh, course for women in in shaping their relationship to desire. Um, and so it's about their self-development and their sexual development. So I'm looking at desire, not just in relationship to sexuality, but desire in relationship to uh, being a self in development. And then also um, I have two other courses for couples. One is a relationship course and the other is a sexuality course. And then a course on how to teach your kids about sex and basically facilitate sexual integrity in your kids. So those are the four courses and you get additional percentages off when you buy more than one. So, and then I have upcoming workshops. I have an Art of Desire workshop in Dallas, Texas, that will be in March. Another one in Calgary, Canada, Calgary, Alberta, Canada in April. And then I'm doing a three-day women's retreat in Oregon, just outside of Portland in May. So those are also upcoming live events. Yeah. And then there'll be a couple's live event. There's a couple's trip to Europe, but that's sold out at this point. Actually, I think think we may have one spot that just opened up actually for that. So if anybody, it may be filled by the time this gets released. And then we're doing um, a couple's workshop in October in Jackson Hole. So anyway. Okay. So all of that is on your website, right? Someone could go down on their website under the events page. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So much good stuff. And I'll testify the art of desire course is amazing. I'm, I'm an owner of that. So great. (laughs) I love that course so much and, and all the work that you do. This is so great. And we're honored to have you talk with us. So thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife's online courses and her upcoming events, visit our website at www.finlayson-fife.com.